0: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: Welcome to the Farms of podcast, a podcast for the Australian agribusiness community. Our mission is to provide the gaps of opportunity within Australian agriculture to become an efficient and productive industry. By doing this, we will need to adapt and adopt to the forever changing environment, implement technology where needed, and put on our farm device thinking cap. I'm Jack Creswell, and I will be your host for the podcast series. Let's get together to make a transparent industry. G'day and welcome to episode 8 of the Farm Advice Podcast. We've had some excellent feedback of late that I couldn't have seen prior to starting this journey. What was just a way for myself to connect with mates has grown into providing actionable feedback for Australian agribusiness community. Today I'm taking you into another sector of agriculture with Emma Turner from the Australian Wool Network down in Goulburn. She's extremely passionate about what she does, and you'll be able to listen in to why she loves working with wool. Wool has been known to have its challenges, but with the attitude of Emma, it is excellent to see the wool industry is in good hands. You can't pull the wool over her eyes. Let's get into it. G'day Em, how are you?
2: Good thanks, Crazy. How are you?
1: Yeah, really good thanks Em. It um, was excellent to have you on the show. So just to kick us off, can you dive into your background and just let us know a little bit more about yourself and where you've come from and how that's led you you where you are now down in Goulburn working for AWN?
2: Uh, Too easy. So I'm Emma Turner and I'm a sheep and wool specialist currently for Australian Wool Network or AWN. Um, I grew up in Western New South Wales out at Ivanhoe on a self-replacing merino property From there, I went to boarding school in South Australia before doing a Bachelor of Rural Science with Honours through Armidale UNE and then started my traineeship with AWN and finally graduated that of the 1st of July into a full-time sheep and wool specialist, which is pretty exciting.
1: Fantastic. So what made you uh, leave the farm and get a bit more education under your belt?
2: Um. I just kind of hate the thought of staying in one place, really. And I love wool, and I wanted to branch out. And UNE does some really good wool units. I definitely recommend if you're interested in the industry to go through and do some of them. So Emma Doyle is amazing. So yeah, I just wanted to learn more about the industry, and then I guess I ended up in a specialised role within it. So it's pretty exciting.
1: So what at, what course did you do at university, and like why did you choose that one?
2: Um, I actually wanted to do, when I left school, vet science and that was probably the first big failure in my life, not getting into that at CSU and I actually got into um, ag science at Armadale and then I started that and then six months into that I realised that I wanted to take more of a research approach so I moved into a Bachelor of Rural Science because honours art was incorporated in that degree and I really wanted to pursue doing something like that so how
1: how did you find the research side of things there's a lot like a lot of people getting into the research at the moment um and like into the data how did you find that part of it
2: um I loved it I loved it it was also very hard I guess because you have to you can't look at it From a practical sense, you have to be able to prove all of your findings via data and statistics and then back it all up by other people's research as well. You can't just kind of say, this worked for me, so it worked. So I struggled a bit with that, but all in all, I really loved it. And I wish there was honestly more research done in the pastoral zones of new south wales because there's such a big proportion of australia's merino u base and a lot of the research done on merinos is often in higher rainfall areas so i think people are really missing out not understanding how pastoral zones work more
1: yeah so missing out on like the different variants of wool out your way towards ivanhoe you mean
2: yeah, and just how the environment is different and the sheep is different because obviously a lot of people are self-replacing and being larger properties out there, there's a higher proportion of merino ewes, especially going into like the first cross kind of areas. So understanding how those ewes work, I think would probably be really beneficial to the sheep industry.
1: Yeah, of course. And just doing it on the larger scale, 1,000 sheep yeah. compared to 20,000 sheep out west.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. You can back up your data a bit more as well.
1: Yeah, so for like for your research, what was your study and what did you look into?
2: So I studied um, six monthly versus 12 monthly shearing intervals. So I was lucky enough that dad let me have A mob of 684 and a half year old ewes. So I split that randomly one for one up the draft, so there was no bias in doing that, and assigned the the flocks to either six monthly or twelve monthly shearing, and then put the mob back together again and ran them as one. So they were all joined before they were allocated to a shearing interval, so that, that had no effect on conception or anything. So I mainly looked at really I guess the effect six monthly shearing had on lamb production than the actual wool itself. Um, So that was a bit exciting. And I yeah, there were some pretty good differences. So I discovered at marking time there was a 9.5% difference between lambs on the ground between six monthly and 12 monthly shearing. So the six monthly shorn ewes had 9.5% more lambs on the ground. And those lambs that were raised by those ewes were actually 1.6 kilos heavier live weight at weaning.
1: Yeah, right. So what, what does that come down to? Does that come down to like relieve stress? Like they're not carrying wool all the time or?
2: Um, yeah, that comes into play a bit. It also comes down to in the final trimester as well when they when the ewes I studied were shorn, that's when the ewes uptake the most protein into lamb growth. So theoretically I made the assumption that because they were shorn and shearing increases feed uptake by ewes, that instead of that protein going into growing wool, it went into growing the lamb in that final trimester.
1: Yeah, okay. So for like for the financing of it, did you see or did you measure like what the, was it increased? Expense on um,
2: that? There was an increased expense, but when I calculated it out, I actually made more money off the ewes that were shown twice, as there was no difference in fleece weights, which was significant, as you generally expect Used that read uh, more lambs on the ground would cut less wool because they were putting that into their lambs, but they actually cut the same amount of wool and there was also a significant difference between strength. However, at that point in time, I hit a really sweet point in the wool market where they were chasing that kind of better yielding, higher strength 50 to 60 mil wool. And at the moment, I would be very tentative to suggest that there is any premium for shorter wool in the market because, yeah, it's a bit of a hard market at the moment.
1: <laughs> you just can't get rid of it as easy. Did you, did you no. end up turning your old man around? Is he still doing six months with Jenny?
2: Um, I wish. I wish. He did see the benefit of it and he did agree with me that there was a benefit, but he hasn't implemented it as of yet. But you know what farmers are like, crazy change is, change is hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. It's, um, you would have been shearing for a few years out there anyway, wouldn't you? Did you was your granddad out there as well?
2: Were your grandparents, yeah, I'm... Yeah, I'm a sixth generation farmer, but we've been out in the Ivanhoe area. The grandma's side of the family has been out there since forever, I think. So, yeah, you're right. been like, out there for a while.
1: On your same property that you are now?
2: Um, I know my grandmother's parents owned one of the properties we own at the moment, but I think they've moved around a bit over the years. So, Yeah,
1: right. Well, like for a lot of people coming on the podcast, they've all come from like, ag backgrounds and especially off the farm um and it's good to see you making a bit of wave up in the wool industry in the city (laughs) see that at the moment
2: yeah I'm based in Goulburn at the moment which is the home of the big ram so it makes sense for me to be here so it's very different um
1: you haven't blown over yet pardon it's quite windy there you haven't blown over yet
2: Oh, no, I haven't blown over and I haven't been snowed on yet. So, that's exciting. But it is only July, so. <laughs>
1: yeah, a few more months of it left to go.
2: Yeah, they reckon September's the worst month in Goulburn.
1: Oh, really? It's not that warm there yet?
2: No, apparently the wind picks up and that's the coldest part about the place.
1: Ah, perfect. Just what you want.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: So, like, as a woman within the wool industry, have you, like, come across challenges i know for like a lot of people out there they have themselves um and like tackled them head on what about yourself
2: um to be honest i don't really see myself as a woman working in a male dominated industry i think the wool industry is a pretty good industry because everybody is equal and it's about people's passion and willingness to learn and understand and have a go and improve on what you know and that's what people really notice about you And it doesn't really matter if you're from an ag background or not from an ag background or know much about wool or don't know much about wool or male or female. If you're the kind of person who's willing to get in and have a crack and learn and learn from your mistakes and admit your mistakes and ask for help, then people are willing to give you a crack and share their knowledge, which is what I really love about the industry.
1: Yeah, it's excellent. So you've got, you found a few mentors, you think, within the wool industry that have helped like guide for you on your path or
2: yeah yeah i have so um i really look up to my honors supervisor dr emma doyle so she really supported me through doing war units and then pursuing my honors and also within um awn itself i really look up to a lot of the employees but i think one of the ones i look up to the most would probably be harold manton who's based up at armadale but um, he's been teaching me how to value wool at the moment and learn how to understand the market and doing a basis and things like that. And he has so much knowledge and he's just so willing to pass that on if you ask questions and are genuinely interested. He just has no no holding back at all and is just happy to share all his information and he's been in the wool industry for a very long time. So I'm really grateful to have Harold as well.
1: So like Dan and Goldman, is that the headquarters? no
2: awn's actually head office is based in unora in sydney where they hold sydney wool sales
1: have you had a chance to get up there and have take a look at this overall
2: yeah i'm on um, the sale team at the moment so due to covid restrictions we have a designated sale team so once a week i go up to sydney and um i'm also an awex appraiser So I go up and I help type and help um, draw up a catalogue and write in growers' instructions and then go into a room and sit down there and kind of, as the auctioneers are selling, one of my roles is to say yay or nay if it's met um, the growers' instructions or not and if we're putting it on the market or not, which is quite a big responsibility because I always have in the back of my mind kind of my dad's voice going, (laughs) this is my yearly income, even though it may not be my father's will, but yeah he definitely holds a big presence in what I do, I think
1: <laughs> yeah, of course you'd carry that through with you. We used to have wool, but like what does the grower like instructions? Is that like a um, a benchmark for them, or what
2: Yeah, it depends like it's a personal choice up to every grower, so we part of what I do with Harold is we value the wool, and then from there it's the same throughout the whole industry, no matter who your broker is. So you'll get appraisals. And then as a grower, it's up to you if you want to meet the market or if you're willing to kind of give your broker 20 to 30 cents or 10 cents or if it's a firm reserve or if you don't want to meet at the appraisals and you might set it 50 cents above the valuations. Like it's just basically the grower having control of what they're willing to let their wool clip go for, which is really important because it is a free market.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, just puts it back into the control of the farmer a little bit and gives them the confidence yeah. to keep going through you, I suppose.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: So I see that you, you went down to Tasmania. It's a bit of a move from Ivanhoe and even Armidale. What was down
2: yeah. there Yeah part of my traineeship so when I was down in Tasmania I actually worked in a wool store for AWN so it doesn't sound exciting but it meant that I actually got to understand wool from a hands-on perspective As obviously growing up out of Ivanhoe we've only had like that 21 22 micron merinos and big high yielding big heavy fleeces and going down to Tasmania meant I actually got to see crossbred wool for the first time and also super fine. And, and I did my wool classing certificate down there as well and got to work on the board of a 10-stand shearing shed and also got to work in a two-stand shearing shed that was like super fine, it's like down to 15 micron fleeces, which was just amazing. So it was really exciting to be down in Tassie.
1: Yeah, so that covered like a bit of groundwork for you just to know the ins and out a bit more of the industry? And seeing the broad spectrum of her highs and lows.
2: Yeah, basically getting to understand a hands-on perspective wool and different types of wool and what wool can go with what I guess, and not pushing the boundaries as such, but just learning like if a cot can be thrown in the same line as colour or a tender or things like that, because at the end of the day, it's all about making saleable lines for the grower. So you don't want to have like. 50 bales it gets split up into 30 lines because that's just when testing charges come into it. That's just not fun for anyone. So yeah, it was just good to understand wool and how it all works and relates to each other hands on,
1: which yeah, is yeah. important. Absolutely. How'd you find Tasmania? I've never been to Tasmania. This is my last state <laughs> to go to.
2: I loved it. I definitely recommend anybody in mainland Australia to go down and have a visit because it's just so different. So one side of the islands all coastal and nice big open beaches and not that it was really warm but it could go soon and then the other side is like rainforest so it's just amazing down there
1: and the ag landscape is a bit more narrow down there than what it is in mainland australia like the diversity Um, of it
2: i wouldn't say it's narrow i'd say it's different like a lot of their issues are different they don't have Kind of the water issues that we have on mainland Australia, and so it's just so green all of the time, and there's just massive pivots everywhere. Which, coming from Ivanhoe, I really hadn't seen before. So getting to see irrigation and irrigation pastures and crossbreds and turn off of first cross ewes and lambs and everything was just whole another world for me. So yeah,
1: yeah, completely different to the like the dirt down in Ivanhoe, of course.
2: Yeah, so, they just have so much water.
1: Yeah, hopefully it will come for us as well. A bit of rain might help.
2: Hopefully, fingers crossed.
1: So for like your education versus experience, um, how do you think these differ of like where you actually learnt the most? Um, you had a good experience down in Tasmania and like moving on to Goulburn now. Do you see like the importance of hands-on experience versus education or like bringing them to both together?
2: I think they're both pretty equal and just as important as each other because without experience you can't communicate to people effectively your education in a way that they'll understand and without education you can't improve other people's experiences if that makes sense so I think they kind of interrelate quite a lot and one shouldn't be held over the other as such but I've been pretty lucky and had like a lot of experience through being like a wool young farming champion and then going to the AWI breeding leadership course earlier in the year and being in an AWN traineeship but I've also had a lot of um education as well with like doing my wool classing, being an AOX appraiser, doing wool units through UNE and honours and everything so I'm yeah pretty lucky really and the wool industry has so many education and experience opportunities so if people are passionate just seriously google it and apply because nobody's going to stop you from doing it people are just going to push you forward so
1: yeah definitely it's not just like sharing that's not all we do there's quite diverse roles within wool um, and you can even get into the fashion industry so it's perfect
2: exactly it's crazy you just have to look at michelle's down in adelaide and they're all like fully processing so there's so much experience and there's so much science now that people are really thinking that we need to have in the industry which is exciting so
1: yeah definitely i saw like um fitness gear came out not that long ago it's called nag i think you pronounce it it's down in melbourne um and like pretty colorful gear getting around and it's all wool which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, it'd be good to even see like All-Bird. where they get it from.
2: Yeah, it would be. Um, even Allbirds. So we um
1: yeah,
2: up with ZQ, and they um supply non-mules wool to quite a lot of brands like Mon's Royal and Hugo Boss, and yeah, it's just really exciting. So there's a lot of things like they even made a fully wool surfboard. So <laughs> it's a pretty diverse fiber, really.
1: You you bought a what a fully
2: a wool yeah, surfboard. New, no, New Zealanders have, um. I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head, but they actually have designed and built a surfboard that's totally made out of wool.
1: Shit. Yeah, right. I didn't <laughs> expect that one. I thought shoes were pretty out there for wool, um, but surfboard for sure. I have to look that one up.
2: Yeah, no, it's really cool.
1: Yeah, excellent. So for like your wool young farming champion, how did this yeah. come about?
2: Um, what was involved? It was actually, <laughs> it was actually my mum kind of told me to apply for it in my gap year and I was just like, oh, yeah, righto, I'll give it a go and didn't really expect much of it. One of those. But I got in. <laughs> so, yeah, that was exciting. And it was really good. Um, It was through AWI as well. And they just – you got a lot of um how to deal with media training and ask, like – talking about tricky questions and things like that and being able to present in front of crowds. And then after you went through the training, you got to go into schools and talk to school children about the wool industry and why you should be involved in it and how many opportunities there are in it and how it's just like a crazy pipeline and it's not just being a farmer or a shearer. There's so much more than that. And I really loved that. So I went into a lot of primary schools and, yeah, it was just an awesome experience teaching kids about wool.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Were they they were pretty keen to hear about it or?
2: Yeah, they were. They um absolutely loved it. And I think um going into like a secondary school and stuff, you'd be able to just really hit the sustainability note like right on there because wool is crazy, like it's a carbon sink, it's biodegradable, it's just there's so many benefits for it, it can be used in so many ways from being an insulator to its flame. Um, i don't i think it's flame resistant they call it so yeah it's just an amazing fiber really
1: yeah so touching on the like innovative side does awn do that or is it more up to awi australian wool innovations
2: um it's more of an awi thing i think like really marketing it so awn as a company we do have Um, a company called Merino & Co, which is our clothing. And some of our – actually, some of our growers will go into this program. So that's really exciting for our growers to be able to, like, see because we have um, QR codes on our barcodes and you can just scan the code and you can see what area the jumper or the – that was made in. So that's really cool. But at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to AWI. So –
1: yeah, that's excellent that you're like offering traceability both for consumer and also the producer.
2: Yeah, it's really exciting and companies, um, a lot of companies are starting to get on board with that. So there's a few, mainly down the um non mule side, there's a few schemes like CQ and RWS, so which offer traceability. Yeah.
1: Yeah, excellent. For like for the traceability, like it's always important to that farmers see their raw products. So I imagine they're loving being able to see what their products actually turned into rather than getting shipped off to China and bought and then we have to buy it back.
2: (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people do comment that it's nice to see where their items are going and where they're kind of supplying different brand partners. So, And it would be really nice if Australia could bring processing back i know on landline on the weekend there was a bit of a segment on that so that would be exciting to create more jobs and just give australia back its hold on wool because australia was built on the sheep's back so they say so as they
1: say yeah yeah Yeah, that would be excellent bring a few jobs back especially in this time um so yeah moving on what's one thing within the wool industry you'd like to change um like on the ground or
2: Um, I think it's a pretty exciting industry to be in. And I think there's a lot of um, kind of opportunity available as it's an aging industry as such. So it's quite an innovative time to be a younger person in the wool industry because there's been such an uptake of technology and the shift of attitude towards technology in the industry. From um, we do e-species now by like wool clip. So you can go on and instead of being on paper, it's all digitally logged. And so the broker can go on and see how you're progressing through and it removes a lot of human errors through um we did a few online auctions during COVID so that was exciting I think the main thing I would really love to change would be the education side of the wool industry so I think it would be nice to re-educate younger people on the importance of sheep and wool and like really sell the sustainability side of things because that's such a big thing for our generation and I think Will absolutely nails it across the board and just seeing a bit more education about that and getting out and not being afraid to speak about the fiber because we have a pretty proud history and I think we have a pretty bright future but we need to change our future a bit and just sell ourselves a bit more
1: yeah that's a great answer Um, of course like getting the younger people through the funnel just to get them kick-started in this industry like yourself would be perfect
2: yeah yeah exactly and just not being afraid to get in and get dirty and work on farms and work in the sheds. And then if it's the industry for you and just understand it, because it's such a, everyone thinks kind of sheep just come in, they get shorn and the wool gets shipped off, but it's really not that simple. There's so much more behind the scenes work that goes into it and just selling that story a bit more and kind of making wool sexy again. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah, Perfectly put actually. Um, (laughs) So for like, For shearers, do you have like much to do on that end? I know like we, or you, as an industry, we're finding it quite difficult getting shearers to go out to places where it is hot and you're working in forty degree plus weather shearing. Do you know like much about this at the moment and where it's going?
2: Um, I think there's been quite a few changes due to COVID. Shearing sheds have had to change their layout a bit and be a bit more socially distant, which is quite hard because working in a shed, you're quite on top of each other. Um, I think a lot of growers are starting to kind of invest money back into their infrastructure. So one of the bigger things fish being a shearer or a wool handler in the industry was some of the um, kind of amenities just wasn't there. And I think a lot of growers are starting to realize this and really lift their game and improve on that side of things, just improve like work health and safety and adding in simple things like female toilets and stuff like that. I think, yeah, there's been work done there, but at the end of the day, hats off to every single shearer I know because I could not do their physically demanding job. Like it is crazy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've got a mate down in Aubrey. Um, He set up his own little shearing team, Roy Boy Shearing. he seems to be doing quite well. So for like a young person um, is making their way through on the shearing side of the wool aspect. So that's excellent to see.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: so for like someone wanting to pursue a career like yours, what, what farm advice would you give to them um, to go about it? Is it like increasing your own network or is it just getting stuck into your study and then you'll get a role from that?
2: Um, I'm still pretty new in the industry, so I wouldn't say I'm the be all and end all, but from what I've kind of learned from what I've done, I would say, um, take each, sorry, did I just pause then? That's fine. <laughs> um, I would say take each and every opportunity you can, and um, be willing to learn the ins and outs of the industry from the ground up as it's the little things that are often behind the scenes that matter the most, um, Don't be afraid to ask people for advice, whether that be career advice or constructive criticism. People respond to passionate people really well. So just get in and ask the questions and stop kind of caring what people will think of your career choices and aspirations because they're yours and they're yours alone to make. And if you sit there and decide over doing or not doing something, which I have been guilty of a lot of times, the opportunity will probably let pass and, you'll just sit there and wonder, should I have taken it? So just get in and have a crack. Um, another big thing that I have learned pretty hard, especially in the past eight months, is don't expect to be the best and know everything straight away because <laughs> um, you won't be amazing and you won't even be good what you do for a very long time i'm still not really and the pressure you put on yourself not to stuff up or to do well in leaps and bounds is really insane and everybody needs to start somewhere and you need to work on building yourself and i think just surrounding yourself with a good network of people who care and want to push you further and are really there to support you through because it is a challenging industry at the end of the day. Like it's not easy and there's so much knowledge out there. You have to understand that you're not going to learn in five minutes. So just asking questions and not beating yourself up about things that you don't know, if you feel like you should know them and just having some really good industry role models. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: So if you're like going through a trial and error stage um, within the first few years, making those few errors um, and just learning from those, definitely.
2: Yeah. And people recognize that you are a young person and if you show the passion and you admit you're a mistake straight up and you're like, put your hand up and I'm like, I'm really sorry. That was my fault. Um, people like, they don't let it slip. Like you will know you made a mistake, but people are willing to understand that you are young and you do not, understand everything that happens and you are going to make mistakes. But yeah, just having the passion and the ability to get back up again and keep trying, I think, is really important. Especially when you're being hit with droughts and having to have tricky conversations and falling markets and all of those kind of things. It's yeah, it's not easy and you often stumble through it, but it's life. So
1: (laughs) Yeah, of course. It's like it's not easy within the industry. And that's without even thinking about a hard drought for five years ongoing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. A lot of people had it quite rough. So it's good to see the season's finally starting to show signs of turning around. So I won't jinx it and say it's perfect because yeah, it's definitely not.
1: <laughs> How's it out, Ivanhoe, at the moment? You got a green tinge? or um,
2: Yeah, we did have some pretty nice rain earlier on, but... I think we're hoping for another 20 mils kind of within the next couple of weeks or it might go backwards pretty quickly. So, yeah, it's looking good, but another 20 mils would would be nice.
1: I think, like, 20 mils to an inch a month would be perfect at the minimum. Yeah. Get us underway.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Thank you for speaking on Farms Advice Agribusiness Podcast. Excellent to have you on as a mate from UNE and St. Alberts up in Armadale there. For <laughs> for like within the people that you know in your network, who would you love to hear on Farms Advice Agribusiness Podcast and why?
2: Um, I reckon I would like to listen to Carl Corby, who's um managing or helps manage Addington Marino. So he's a younger bloke and He's having a pretty good craft. We actually met um over at Breeding Leadership Course and he's getting onto some really exciting things for somebody so young in the industry. So just hearing his perspective on managing a place and the traumas and the decisions that go with it would just be really eye opening to listen to.
1: Yeah, excellent. It'd be good to get like a bit of a are they commercial or are they just do they have a stud?
2: I think they do both or <laughs> well, they might yeah, and speak in the future, but I'm not actually too sure
1: sorry <laughs> yeah that's perfect though um we'll have to get in touch and see how he's going uh, see if he wants to come on the show give us his input into the industry so yeah thanks again emma for people that uh, want to contact you or just see what you're up to these days how can they do the social media or
2: Yeah, so probably your best bet would be um, just follow me on Twitter at Emma Turner, 2878, good old Ivanhoe postcode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. Now, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much for joining us on today's show uh, and we hope to speak to you soon.
2: Thanks, Crazy.
1: Cheers, Em. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Farms Advice podcast. I hope that we can help you fill in the gaps of your business to help you grow into the future. If you'd like to get in touch, see how we can grow your agribusiness, please visit us at farmsadvice.com.au. Please share this podcast with your colleagues, friends and family to help us find the right audience to improve Australian agribusiness. Hope to see you next time. Cheers.